Notice with me that it's not in word only. Quite often, that's how parents tend to like to parent their children. Do what I say, not what I do. It's word only. Hey, just listen to me. But you're not doing it. That's okay. I'm an adult. I live by different rules than you. It's not in word only. It talks about a living faith then. It's not just preaching it from your mouth, because if your life doesn't line up with the words that's coming out of your mouth, it's not going to be received. It's not going to be believed. And so it's talking about a living faith. And when you have a living faith, then that becomes power. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking in 1 Thessalonians as we begin our study in the church in Thessalonica. Paul was on the run. He goes from Philippi to Thessalonica has conflict there, goes from Thessalonica to Berea, has conflict there, goes from Berea to Athens, doesn't seem to have many who follow the Lord, ends up in in Corinth, and there in Corinth, the Lord would come to him at one point at night in his dream and say, Paul, do not be afraid, for I have many people in this city, and no one's going to harm you here. So we get this feeling that in Paul's second missionary journey, It just seemed to be a total disaster. And then the Lord gave him peace for one year, six months there in Corinth. It's there in Corinth that Paul writes this letter. But it wasn't a disaster. Though his time was short there in Thessalonica, God had begun to do a mighty work through them and then in the church there. And I want us to see that today and see how this church became examples to all. Continue on in verse 2, it tells us, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. Now, later on in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 17, tells us to pray or pray without ceasing. And here we have part of that prayer process, that while they're praying, giving thanks to God for the church there in Thessalonica, they are remembering without ceasing. They're praying without ceasing, but they're also remembering without ceasing the church that they founded there. And what are they remembering? Your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. The word for labor can be defined out by meaning intense labor united with trouble or toil. I think of Jesus in that. Jesus said no greater love 
Has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friends? Think about the labor of love that our Lord gave for you and for me. The toil that he went through, having his back ripped open, being nailed upon the cross, the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. It was a labor of love, and it is a labor of love. In return, we should be returning back that work of faith, that labor of love, in patience of hope. Now, the hope is in the coming of Jesus Christ. Quite often, we don't preach enough about the second coming of Jesus. But if you look in the book of Acts, the first message that Peter preached, the first message that Paul preached, it was about Jesus being the Messiah, saving them from their sins, but also that Jesus was coming again. Here in 1 Thessalonians, we find that Paul talks about the second coming of Christ in every single chapter. There's only five chapters, but in every single chapter, he's talking to the church about the Lord's return. And that's something I believe that the church isn't talking enough about today. There are many churches who don't believe that the Lord is returning. Many churches believe that we're the ones who are going to usher in the kingdom of the Messiah, that it's our works and nothing that's going to be a supernatural work, but we're just going to Christianize the whole world. But today, the fastest growing religion in the, in the world today is not Christianity, it's Islam. If we're the ones who's going to do it, we're losing the battle in a big way. Many of the churches in England have been converted into mosques. It's happening here in the United States. And so we place that hope in Jesus. It's called a patience of hope. We're waiting patiently, but we have our eyes set upon the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now here's an interesting verse that troubles many people. I have been raised in the Baptist faith to teach, and we're not Baptists here, but I was raised in the Baptist faith, that teaches that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So anyone can be saved. And I absolutely believe that. But there's another side to that coin which teaches this election by God, is that before the foundations of the earth, God ordained or preordained those who are being saved. And I absolutely believe that. You mean God chose me? Yep. You mean I chose God? Absolutely. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? No, it doesn't seem to be. Spurgeon called it a great mystery of Scripture. He called these two twin sisters that cannot be separated, but that they were a great mystery of Scripture. But they are taught throughout Scripture that to realize that your coming to God the Father was not solely on your own means, but it was the work of God bringing you to him. You are not only created by God, but God has uniquely worked in you in such a way to bring you to this place of salvation. But then you could say, well, that's not free will, is it? He's forcing me to be saved then. Well, I don't feel like I was forced into anything when I responded to the gospel message. I feel from my perspective that I had that choice to choose. But the thing is, is see, God sees the big picture. We don't. See, God knows those who will be saved. So therefore, he can predestine those who will be saved, those who will respond to be those who are elected by God. It is 
definitely an interesting mystery, one that I didn't want to dig into too deeply here today, because I really want us to see the example there in the church in Thessalonica. In verse 3, we've already learned their work of faith, their labor of love, their hope of patience in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 5 and 6, we see the message that was preached to them by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. For you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So their gospel, how did it come? Paul declares his gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He declares the gospel message that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That's the gospel. His death, his burial is just the identification of the death, but his death, his burial, his resurrection. We all die. There's only one who rose again. And by rising again from the grave, he has proved himself to be the Messiah. So the gospel, Paul said it didn't come in word only. He didn't say that words weren't used. In Romans 10, 17, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it's necessary to proclaim the word. It's necessary to teach, as I'm doing this morning. It's necessary to preach, and this is the form of teaching and preaching here this morning, or to witness, to testify when we're out there day by day talking with people, talking with friends, to proclaim the word. Notice with me that it's not in word only. Quite often, that's how parents tend to like to parent their children. Do what I say, not what I do. It's word only. Hey, just listen to me. But you're not doing it. That's okay. I'm an adult. I live by different rules than you. It's not in word only. It talks about a living faith then. It's not just preaching it from your mouth, because if your life doesn't line up with the words that's coming out of your mouth, it's not going to be received. It's not going to be believed. And so it's talking about a living faith. And when you have a living faith, then that becomes power. It came in power also, in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. This power is part of the gospel message in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel itself is the power of God to those who believe. So in the gospel message, there is power. Now, there's power in the lives that we live it, that you're actually living as a believer, and to realize that people are watching to see if you're actually living what you preach. But there is also that power of the Holy Spirit to come alongside to serve with you. In the book of Acts, it tells us many times that it wasn't just the apostles who went forth and preached the message, but the Holy Spirit coming alongside them. The close of Mark's gospel, it tells us that the Holy Spirit was witnessing with them through power, through the signs and wonders, through these miracles. And so even is the salvation of each of us, it does not come apart from the work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Years ago, uh, someone left a Bible here. They're not part of our fellowship. They had been visiting off and on for a while and 
They'd left their Bible out on the rail out in the foyer that goes down to the stairway. And so seeing it there and everyone gone, I opened it up to see who it belonged to, that I could get it back to them. And inside it was our bulletin. And in our bulletin, we have a place for notes. And in the notes, it says, lacks power. Now, what he was referring to was my message, lacks power. And you know what? Quite often, I could agree with him. And you could ask Lily, there's times it takes me a day or two to just get over Sunday morning. It's not easy. You know, at times you just, you feel like you rambled. And maybe I'm rambling here this morning. I shared with the guys on Monday night at prayer. And we did something for the very first time in our Monday night prayer. I read over this chapter on Monday night. And I said, I want you guys to agree with me in prayer. Starting here on Monday for the preparation for the preaching on Sunday, that it wouldn't lack power. There's a story of Spurgeon giving a tour to a guy in his church, and during his day and age, they had electric power, mostly was coal and oil lamps, but there was electricity. But if you had electricity, you usually had to generate your own power, and so it was quite common that perhaps a factory would have its own electric generating facility, not like today where we buy our power from Comet or other sources. And so he's touring this guy on his church grounds, and he said, would you like to see my powerhouse? And that guy goes, I guess so. And he's thinking he's going to show him his electric generator. And Spurgeon went down in the basement. He went to a room below his pulpit and he opened the door, and there's 125 people in that room praying. So the thought of while he's preaching these prayers, rising up through to the Father, his power, and he is called the Prince of Preachers, and God did a very great work through this man. But the power there comes, I believe, through prayer in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. That assurance is the assurance of our salvation. We have the assurance of the Holy Spirit putting his seal in our lives, I think of the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, and there is no one in this world who can convince me of anything else. I have that assurance in Christ. He said, you have become followers of us and of the Lord. Years ago, there was an evangelist who preached at my daddy's church. I usually didn't call my dad daddy, but anyways. And he was a young guy in his 20s, and he was really on fire, but he used to say quite often, get your eyes off of me and get them on the Lord. And in one sense, that's true. You don't want to put your eyes on any one man. But in the other sense, here Paul says they became followers of us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, if the priorities are correct, Paul having his eyes on the Lord they became followers of me and of the Lord. And so first they looked to Paul, saw Christ in him, and was able to look to Christ himself. We should have such a testimony. Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Would you be embarrassed to say that to someone? What's, what's it mean to be a believer? I don't know, come on, hang out, follow me, and you'll see. You mean you're going to be evidence of that in your life? Yeah, I, I believe I can be. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here. They became followers of us and of the Lord. And so as they set their eyes upon Paul and Silas and Timothy, they saw these examples of Christ working through these men. Ultimately, they would get their eyes upon the Lord. We do the very same thing. One of the reasons I was attracted to 
Calvary Chapel movement was Pastor Chuck and his steadfastness and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I can follow a man like that, but I'm not following that man. I'm following Christ. Is that clear? We can join together in agreement in our worship, but ultimately it's got to be about Jesus. And the church in Thessalonica understood that. They became followers of Paul and Silas and Timothy and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. We read about that, how there were riots that broke out maybe three or four weeks after they became believers. But it came in much affliction. But with the joy of the Holy Spirit, there was joy there. And that's something only the Lord can do. Through affliction, bring joy. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe. And from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. This is really an exciting discovery to me this week about the church in Thessalonica. I'd never seen it before. But there's a verse of scripture in Acts 1, verse 8, that tells us when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall become witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, they became examples to all, first in Thessalonica, but their Macedonia and Acacia were regions in that area that included several towns. Philippi was part of that. Berea was part of that. Corinth was part of that. Athens was part of that. They were regions like we would much say Lake County or Cook County or Lake County or Racine County or Kenosha County that their witness went out from them, not just from their own town and not just to the next town, but to the whole region of towns around them. And then, in verse 8, in every place could be to the ends of the earth. It began first, what we would like to say here in Lake Villa, it would begin here. And then we reach out. ShareFest has kind of that feel. Our involvement in Love, Inc. has that feel as we're reaching out beyond our city limits, going to all regions throughout Lake County to minister. But then in every place, as we go out from here, as Bill will be going off to India again. You know, he's grounded here in Lake Villa, but he'll be traveling off to India. And Lily and I have been invited now, not only to India, but down into Mexico. Mike McIntosh has a festival of life down there. Found out Lily's Hispanic and said, come on down. But to reach out beyond. And actually, Lily has done uh, missionary trips down into Mexico before, before our involvement in Calvary Chapel. We reach out beyond, and here we see that evidence being displayed in another church during the New Testament time, here in a Greek church. And I believe just as God did it there, he can do it for us. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not have to say anything now, that's testimony. That's witness. Hey, I've heard of you guys. Now, I've had someone say that to me before, and what he was wanting was money from the church. I've heard about you guys. And he was just trying to butter up the pastor for he could get some money out of the pastor. And there's caution when I hear that. But to have testimony go forth, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not have to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had on you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, other people now are, are talking about, yeah, that church in Thessalonica. They used to worship idols. 
And now they're serving the true and living God. It's amazing. What would be our testimony? Are we examples to all? Would they be able to say the very same thing? That's the excitement of the gospel, how God can take and change lives in such a way that now you have people who used to serve idols. Now you have people who used to um, be alcoholics. Now you have people who used to be drug dealers or, or hooked on drugs. But now they've, they're not doing that anymore. They've turned and they're serving the true and living God. Their lives have changed. Whatever the addiction, whatever the worship that we used to do, is it such a powerful testimony that your friends and your family see it and that you just stand off and you're different and they know it? You know, that's exciting to me when that happens. I had a brother that when I was 18 years old and I worked in the factories down at John Manville, I had a brother there who was Puerto Rican who, before it was popular to shave your head down to almost no hair, or now today no hair, but before that was popular, he used to do that all the time. And I would look at this guy, and he was only a couple of years older than me, and I would think, well, your hair just started looking decent, and you shaved it again. And one day I asked him, I said, why do you keep shaving your head? It was just so odd to me because when my mom and dad finally gave me the freedom, I let my hair grow. I wasn't going to shave it off again, and I haven't yet. It's short, but I haven't shaved it. And he said, it's because of the life that I used to live. I used to be in gangs before I became a believer. I used to have long hair. And he said, now I want to look so different that when I see my old friends, they'll say, hey, man, what happened to you? Let me tell you. You know, his life had changed so much that he wanted to be that example. He wanted to be that witness. And he physically altered his appearance, which is nothing drastic. He just shaved his hair. But to bring up the conversation. But that's so exciting how they, you know, we turn from whatever it was to serve the true and living God, to wait. And here it is that looking for the second coming, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Part of the gospel message that was preached, if you want to test it out for yourself, go back to the book of Acts and read the first sermon that Peter preached there on the day of Pentecost. Read the first sermon that Paul preached in uh, Acts chapter 16 and, and see that they also brought in that Jesus is coming. He's coming again. Exciting times that we live in because I believe the Lord's coming is nearer now than it's ever been. One of the reasons I chose to go through First Thessalonians is at the time I chose to go through this, Israel was at war. Although there is a truce now, I don't think they're out of the woods in any way, in means or shape or form. When Israel goes into war, second coming events just seem to keep coming together in such a way that it makes me want to look up. Jesus is coming. In Thessalonians, Paul talks about that, the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord for his church. And I want us to be a people who are ready. I want us to be a people who are examples to all, who know what it means to have a work of faith, that you're just daily, it's your job, it's your business, to work out your faith, that people know that you're a believer, to have a labor of love, that you're willing to sweat for it with much pain and affliction even, if necessary, to have that patient of hope, and that hope is in the coming of Jesus, that the world will testify, that church in Lake Villa, 
Calvary Chapel, they're small, but there's something about them. Do we have that kind of testimony? I desire that for us, not just for myself, but for us as a body, because I believe God can do tremendous work through just a few who totally and wholly set their hearts upon him. Father, we thank you for your word and ask that you would be with us now, Lord, as we offer this time of invitation. Perhaps, Lord, we have claimed faith in you, but we haven't been living it in such a way that others can see. And perhaps, Lord, it's time for us to make that commitment to you in such a way that, look, Lord, I just want to have this work of faith, this labor of love, this hope in you that is reflective in my life. And I don't feel that it's been that way of late. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd work in our hearts. If there are those, Lord, who have not believed as of yet, maybe today is the day that you're calling them to you, that they can begin this work of faith, begin this labor of love, begin this patience of hope. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our midst this afternoon. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.